Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Luis. We're in a series called Extraordinary. In this series, we talk about how God takes ordinary people and he uses them to do extraordinary things. We pray and hope that God speaks to you directly through this message. We hope you enjoy week three. Hey, we're in this series called Extraordinary. So what we're doing is we're looking through the Bible and we're seeing how ordinary people are being used in an extraordinary way for God. And so I was sitting in my office uh, this week, kind of preparing for this, and I started thinking, I was like, the first thing we gotta realize is that we're all ordinary, um, which I'm sorry if that's news to you, uh, that you're ordinary. Um, But something I was thinking about uh, was some things that maybe we do, just as people, that we think is just like only we do them, but literally everybody does them. And so I'm, I'm curious, because I talked to the staff, uh, and we actually talked way too long about this. We actually, it bled into our lunch today, and I actually talked to some students about it. Um, but I have some things that we all do. Everybody take out your phone right now. Everybody take out your phone. I know it's a dangerous game we're playing here. Take out your phone. You may not realize, just hold your phone, okay? You may not realize right now, but Pretty much all of you, put your hand in the air if you have three fingers behind your phone and your pinky underneath your phone and your thumb on the side. Put your hand in the air right now. Uh-huh, yeah, that's right, dude. That's right. How ordinary are you guys? Yeah, for sure. I do that as well. Um, another one I have, um, anybody, ever, uh, anybody ever walk the stairs? Anybody ever walk the stairs and you're on the way up the stairs and maybe you're with other people and so you like lower your, your like breathing to like a whisper because you don't want them to hear you going. <laughs> Anybody else do that? Anybody? Oh yeah, for sure. We know. We know we do that. Um, some more I got. Uh, anybody, maybe if you don't drive, think about your mom in this instance because I know moms do this everywhere. We love moms all around, but we know they do this. When they enter the parking lot, they turn that music down so that they can focus more on where to find a parking spot. Like they make them see better. Do we agree? Every time it's like, we got to turn this music down. Come on. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Moms do that. I do that. It's hilarious. This one I'm a little nervous to say uh, because there is some that are just guy exclusive and girl exclusive. Um, girls, and here's the deal. If you want to get mad at anybody, get mad at Shelby and Megan Ann because they said this. Okay, I didn't say this, but they said if a girl is wearing like a headband or like a messy bun, so if you're wearing a messy bun or a headband, I'm not even looking. I'm sorry. I don't even know. Okay, but that just means you need to wash your hair. Like that's, <laughs> that's typically what that means. Is that right? I don't, is that, is that right? That's right, right? Yeah. The, I'm not saying all the time, but gen, generally, and then guys, guys, let's do, just be real with me. This one shocked me, but I'm a part of this, okay? This one shocked me. For some reason, for guys, every time we go into a public restroom, we have to like announce our presence in some way. Have y'all noticed that? Like, it's like, I just feel weird. Like you have to make a noise. Like in the, whether it's like a, it's just like you open it, it's just like a, <clears throat> or something, something super subtle, just so people know you're in there and you've walked in. Sometimes, I, I was really thinking hard about this, like what I do is I open and I just open the door super loud, I'm like Poof, and I'm in. And so people know I've entered the building, you're no longer alone, so don't fart out loud or whatever, you know. That's, but that's, I really do think, I really do think it's real. So can we all agree, <laughs> that was a lot bigger of a success than I thought it was gonna be, that's good, because we're all, all ordinary. Can we just all agree we're ordinary? Can everybody say right now, I am ordinary. Yeah, you are. You're so ordinary. All right, good deal. Um, So what we're going to do is the first week we talked about somebody named uh, King David. 
The first week we talked about King David and we looked at how his ordinary life was, uh, he was using an extraordinary way for God. Shelby taught us that. Last week we talked about Rahab, um, the prostitute. And we see that her life, she's extremely, she's an ordinary woman uh, and God used her in an extraordinary way. And what we're doing today, who we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Gideon. You may not have heard the story of Gideon, but I, I actually talk, I told our team, I walked down, we were setting up for live tonight, and I was like, I'm so excited for tonight, because I feel like I resonate with Gideon so much. And I didn't realize that, because if, if you know the story of Gideon, Gideon was like a, an army commander, and he like led a bunch of people to go like fight in battles, and that's not the part that I identify with totally. Um, but I do, I'm telling you, as we read this passage, and I think it's true for a lot of you today, I think it's true for a lot of you today. I think you guys will identify with Gideon as well. And so we're going to open up, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Judges. We're up to the book of Judges. Uh, it's the seventh book of the Bible. What we know about the book of Judges is it's really just a collection of stories. It's a narrative. It's, it's very easy for us to read. Uh, here's how the book of Judges goes. It's like, a, it's like this. It's like Israel is good with God, and then Israel goes away from God, and they get captured, and then God calls somebody up. He calls up a judge, and they um, deliver Israel from their, cap, from their, from their captivity. Okay, and so we see this. It's this constant process is up, of up and down, up and down, probably kind of a lot like our lives, if we're being honest, right? Whoa. Caught that. I caught it. I caught it. Don't worry. I caught it. I caught it. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's a lot like our, our lives, okay? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the book of Judges, and we're going to look at Gideon. And what we see is the people who were oppressing Gideon were the Midianites. Who's heard of the Midianites before? I think they won like a gold in the last Olympics, right? No, they didn't. No. The Midianites, they're from Midian, okay? And here's, we're going to learn about them right here. We're going to open up to uh, chapter 6, and we're going to read in verse 4 and 5. Here's, this is talking about the Midianites. They would encamp against them, talking about against the Israelites, and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. That's a big deal. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. We can read that and we can be like, okay, a lot of people came and they laid waste to the land. I don't really know what that means. But the descriptor here is like locusts. I don't know if you've ever seen a locust swarm or anything like that. I have this picture. This is the aftermath of a locust swarm, uh, if you'll show that for me right here. That's kind of like what crops look like after locusts are done with them. And then I actually have another one that can kind of show the devastation to like a farm um, or something like that. It's kind of crazy. Like you see like, all the green there and locusts just, just wiped that, all that out, right? So whenever I mention the Midianites as we're reading today, I want you to think about just, I don't want you to think about, oh, you know, they're under persecution. This is a story. No, they're being wiped out. All of their crops are being taken. Their people are being killed and they're being wiped out by a numerous amount of people. That's so much so that they couldn't even be counted. Okay, so that's who they're being taken after. So let's look at Gideon. So as we talked about in Judges, um, the people, they get captured, and then they suffer for a little bit, and then God raises somebody up, and in this case, God raises up Gideon. So let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, not Oprah, but Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, 
the abyss right. And I cannot help, guys. I'm sorry. I was reading this, and I couldn't read past it without saying, like, how many times do you think it was like, Joash, are you all right? And he's like, abyss all right. You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't get past it. Okay, let's restart. Let's restart this verse. Okay, let's restart this verse. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Okay, so this is, we're first introduced to Gideon. He doesn't quite sound like a warrior to me. He doesn't quite sound like somebody who's gonna deliver, um, who's gonna deliver Israel from captivity. The first picture we get of Gideon might look a lot like you and me, is actually he's hiding. He's hiding something from the Midianites, and he's taking this time to allow the Midianites, to allow their oppression, to allow uh, whatever circumstance he's in to affect how he does his job. Right? And I don't know if you need to write, when we're getting started to this, this evening, and we're starting right now, and some of you are like allowing the world to impact exactly how you're feeling right now in this moment. Maybe something happened earlier today. Maybe you're allowing your circumstance to affect what your brain is doing right now. Maybe you're allowing somebody next to you right now to distract you. And that is not what we want. We want to hear from God's word today. And we'll see Gideon heard from God shortly after this, and it changed his life. And I believe that God wants to do that with you guys today as well. And so don't miss this. Don't be like Gideon in the beginning where he's, where he's hidden, where he's afraid, where he's timid. Don't be timid. Be searching for God today because here's the deal. His hiddenness, his, his, uh, his desire to be hidden, his desire to act in secrecy so the Midianites don't see him, that's not how God um, describes Gideon. That's not his identity. And we'll see here the next verse, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, came to Gideon, and he said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That doesn't sound like a mighty man of valor. Other, um, other translations say mighty warrior, right? That's pretty cool, right? God doesn't, look, God doesn't look at maybe what you think of yourself in this moment. Look at me. He doesn't think about what you think of yourself in this moment. Yes, we are ordinary on our own, but God sees an opportunity to use you in the skills that he's given you at birth, how he's made you. He sees an opportunity to do that and to do something incredible, to do something extraordinary through you. And some of you need to know you're listening to what maybe what Gideon was listening to what Midianites said, right? But you guys need to listen to what God is telling you. And here's what I'll tell you. His word tells us that you're created by him, specifically how you were made. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You are made in his image and he loves you. And some of you are not living in that truth. Gideon was not living in that truth. Some of us in this room, we need to live in that truth. That's where we begin. If we truly want God to do something extraordinary through our lives, we have to start with knowing that truth and being confident in that. Cool, so let's keep reading because we can even go a little bit deeper in verse 14. It says, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. So we skipped a couple of verses. Gideon's like arguing with him and God's like, hey, I'm not listening to you. You're mighty. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. He said, do not I send you? He's like, dude, I'm sending you. You have power, right? Verse 15, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. So he was in this tribe of Israel called Manasseh, and his clan in the tribe was the weakest. And not only that, we keep reading, and I am the least in my father's house. So like, if there's a totem pole, like Gideon's like off of it. He's not even <laughs> lowest on the totem pole. He's one of the most unlikely people to be chosen. Extremely ordinary person here, Gideon. A timid man. Somebody who's allowing the Midianites to bully him around. Except God wants to use him. And why does God want to use him? Because listen, it's not about how strong Gideon is. It's not about how great Gideon is. It's not about how great any of you are. Listen, verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. 
and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Here's the deal. God is with you. And here's, we try to have power by ourselves. We try to be extraordinary by ourselves. And I have this illustration. I have this thing, how I want to illustrate this. It's extremely goofy. Um, but we, here's what we think is we think we're, um, if we, if we want to be extraordinary on our own, we're really just handcuffing ourselves. It's like, I want to be extraordinary. I want to do this, but I want to do it all by myself. And let me tell you, you will never reach any, anywhere close to a level that you could with God moving through you for his glory. There's, um, there's this video. I don't know why I thought of this video. It's kind of like my bad um, Abby's all right joke. Um, but I'm watching this video on reels, and these dudes are playing soccer. Okay, maybe you've seen this video, but they don't drop down a soccer ball. They drop down a bowling ball. Have y'all seen this? Guys, this is so dumb. Oh my gosh. They do this. They drop down this bowling ball. And instead of taking this lovely game called soccer that doesn't hurt when you kick it and stuff, these two dudes drop a soccer ball and they're like kicking this ball as hard as they can. They're breaking their ankles. I mean, I laughed really hard. It was hilarious. But like they're like going and they're like, oh man, ow. Oh, and they're just going. Here's the deal. They're making it so much more difficult than they need to. Right? Let me tell you something. You trying to be extraordinary on your own accord is a lot like playing soccer with a bowling ball. It's stupid. It makes no sense, especially when you could play soccer with a soccer ball. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And especially when you could be extraordinary with the Lord at your side. Not only at, the si- at your side, but leading you and doing what he's called you to do. Being extraordinary. If you get this wrong, you just need to tune out for the rest of the night. Don't tune out for the rest of the night. But if you get this wrong, you have to start right here. You can do cool things on your own. But if you want to be extraordinary, if you want to be used by God, to the fullest of the potential that he has for you. You cannot do that apart from him. You have to come with him. You have got to be with him. God said it. God knows. He says, I'm with you. That's why you're able to do this. So here we go. So let's keep reading. Gideon does a bunch of stuff. He's got a long story. So I'm going to skip out some of it, but um, we're going to pick up in verse 36, okay? Here's the deal. So Gideon, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, So here's the deal. Gideon understands his assignment. He knows what God has him doing. He knows what God wants from him. He's not not like under any false pretense of what God might want. He's not like, ah, I thought you meant this God. No, he knows. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool. So picture like a little blanket, a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that um, I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. This dude is doubting hard, right? He's like, God, do this crazy thing, and then maybe I'll believe, right? So God does it, and it was so. Verse 38, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, okay, he's like, God, uh, let, hey, don't get mad, all right? That's always a great way to start talking to God, right? God, don't get mad. He says, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with your fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. So he wants the opposite this time, right? He says, and God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. And here's the deal. God gave Gideon a very specific assignment. Gideon knew the assignment, but that wasn't good enough. Everybody look at me. You guys in this room, if you're a Christian today, if you've been coming to this place, you should by now know your assignment. As a believer, as a disciple of Jesus, it is to bring others to Christ. It is to, to walk with the Lord, to continually look more and more like him every single day. Some of you know this assignment. Gideon knew the assignment, but that wasn't good enough because he hadn't done it yet. Gideon, 
He was testing God. He wasn't just procrastinating, but he was looking for a reason not to do the assignment. Right? He was looking for a reason. He says, God, do this. And he's like, there ain't no way God does, God's doing that. You know what I mean? That's crazy. God's like, you thought wrong. Here you go. Now, let me tell you, don't go home and be like, hey, God, do you really want me to make disciples and lay out your fleece at night and do that? It's not, that's, that's, God has told you to do that, I promise you. He has told you that that is your assignment, right? But you, in the same way that Gideon does, I, in the same way that Gideon does, we look for a reason not to do what God wants us to do, what God's called us to do. And we can't operate that way. If we want to be used in an extraordinary way, we have got to get out of the loser mindset got to get out of the loser mindset of, I'm not good enough for that. Yeah, you're not good enough for that. That's why God's with you, right? Gideon wasn't good enough to accomplish this. That's why God was with him, right? We have to stop looking for a reason because I promise, me, promise you, you'll find a reason. A quick story. I had just graduated from Oklahoma State, um, and I, I felt this burden to share the gospel. I knew the assignment. I needed to share the gospel with somebody. So I, uh, I was telling the team this the other day. Um, I knew the assignment, I knew I needed to share the gospel, so I ordered pizza. That's like, duh, right? That's the next move, right? Yeah, I ordered pizza, of course. My, but here's the deal, I ordered pizza for the sole purpose, I ordered pizza for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with the delivery guy, okay? Has anybody ever done that? That's, that's, that's like weird. That poor delivery guy, right? He's like, he's like just doing his job, he just wants a tip, and I'm like, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You know what I mean? No, but here's the deal, I didn't do that. Because here's what happened. I knew the assignment. I even set myself up for the assignment. I made the call, got my pepperoni pizza. Um, and here's the deal. On the way down, I did it. I, I was ready, man. I was, on my, I was on my way down. And these thoughts start trickling in. Man, what if he thinks I'm weird? What if he asks me something I don't know? What if, what if he hates me? What if he cusses me out? What if, what if he doesn't give me my pizza, right? Like, I'm thinking all these things, you know? And I allow God to, not God, I allow the enemy, I allow Satan to get into my head and twist my words. And guys, one of my biggest regrets, seriously, I don't tell you this proudly, I did not share the gospel with that man tonight. And that's sad. That's sad. That's a lack of obedience on my part. I knew my assignment. I even set myself up for the assignment, but I didn't do it because I was looking for a reason. Culture, the enemy, Satan, everything was giving me my reasons why not to do it. But the only reason I need to do it is because I know that God's with me and he can do an extraordinary um, work through me and with me, right? I think there's a lot of you in here today that would have that same battle. Maybe you walk into school every day and you're like, man, I, I, I know the assignment. I went to live last week. I know the assignment. I need to love people. Maybe you've been in Bible study. And you're like, I need to love others. That's what we learned last week. And you're like, but I can't because of this. Stop looking for an excuse because you'll find one. You absolutely will. I want to encourage you to stop looking for one. Um, so all of that was extremely ordinary stuff, right, by Gideon? Well, good, we got more ordinary stuff. That's why I identify so well with Gideon. You can see now. Cool. Um, verse 36 in chapter 6, okay? Oh, no, we just read that. So I actually do have more. Um, there's, there's some more ordinary stuff. We're going to move to chapter 7, but I'm not going to read this part because it's so lengthy. So Gideon, he sees his fleece, and he's finally like, fine, God, I'll do it. All right, sweet. Gideon knows his assignment. Now he's doing it. So Gideon gets all his men together, and he has 32,000 men, okay? That's big time. I mean, if I'm going to war, 32,000 men, that's pretty solid. Um, so here's what God says. God says, Gideon, don't miss this because this is cool. He says, Gideon, he goes, that's too many men. He said, if, if, you, if you bring 32,000 men in there, y'all are going to be tempted to be like, oh, look how great we are. Look how big our army is. We conquered this. Great job. So God said, hey, just ask everybody if they're tired or if they're fearful, if they're tired, if they want to go home. If they're fearful, just say they can go home. Give me a guess. How many people do y'all think went home? 
22,000, y'all know this is on screen? Y'all rock, dude. 22,000 people went home. 22,000 out of 32,000. So here's the deal. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes. You're already kind of reluctant about this task, right? You're feeling a little iffy. You're like, all right, at least I got my 32,000 bros, right? And he's like, hey, just send like 22,000 of them home. Now you're like, all right, I guess I got 10,000. But still, like you look around, and you're like, I got 10,001 people, right? I'm here. I got it. We can do this. God looks at him and says, hey, that's still too many. He says, that's too many people. 10,000, y'all still might take the credit for yourself. And so he, he says, take them down to the river to get a drink. And here's what we'll read. We'll read in Judges 7, verses 5. It says this. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. So here's what he did. He picked a very strange way to do it. People who drank like water and people who, people who drank like dogs and people who didn't drink like dogs. And he took the 300 people, right? So now Gideon is stuck with 300 men. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, it was like 300. It's like, didn't they make a movie about this, like with Sparta or something? Um, it's crazy, but he's with 300 men. And if you don't, I mean, put yourself in that situation, would you not begin to feel doubtful again, right? Remember, do we remember how big that army was? Remember this, you can't even count them. They compared them to locusts, you can't even count them. Okay, so here's what we see. We're gonna continue to see a more ordinary behavior from our good friend Gideon. Um, verse nine in, in chapter seven. The same night the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. He's saying, hey, go. You got 300 people, Go. He says, but God knows you, man. God knows Gideon. He knows what he's thinking. God knows you too. He says, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. She's like, okay, let's keep reading in verse 13. It says this. It says, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. That makes no sense to me. Cool. That's weird. That's a cool dream, man. Verse 14, this makes more sense. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camps. So paint the picture. God dwindles him down to 300. Gideon begins to fear again. He begins to get doubtful. And then God's like, hey, if you're still doubtful, which I know you are, Go down there and just eavesdrop for a second. He goes down to the camp. I can picture it in my head. He's down there. He's huddled up. He's listening to this guy. This guy tells this bizarre dream, which is like, what? And then this, his comrade says, God has given us over to Gideon. That's what that means. If you're hearing that, nobody's told that guy anything. God is delivering for Gideon. He is giving him that boost. He is giving him that confidence. Here's the deal, students. God wants to give you that confidence as well because God wants to do extraordinary work through you. God needs your obedience. He doesn't need you just to know what to do. He needs your obedience because he has gone before you. It's very clear in this picture that God has gone before the nation of Israel in this battle. It's very clear. So much so that he's in these dudes' dreams, right? He's in these dudes' dreams. God has gone before them, and God will go before you too. I don't know what battle you face. I don't know what battle you're in right now, but God is before you. God wants to do an extraordinary work through it, right? Does anybody else, you don't have to raise your hand, but man, does anybody else just like, Relate to Gideon a lot. It's like, golly, man, I'm like so scared all the time. I allow my circumstances to affect me. 
But God, doesn't, God used this ordinary man who's a lot like me, probably a lot like you guys, to do something incredible. Let's get to the extraordinary part. Verse 20 of chapter 7 says this, Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held their, in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bathsheba toward Zerera. Here's the deal. Gideon and his 300 men conquered. I actually, I tried to look up how much this was, but it's not in the Bible. But this, remember, they were numerous. They were not able to be counted. There were so many. These 300 men they, they took him over. I have to assume it's more than 32,000 because 32,000 was able to be counted, <laughs> right? It doesn't make any sense. That's an extraordinary work. And listen, some of y'all are like, I wanna be used by God, but I keep messing up along the way. Did you see anything that Gideon actually did right? <laughs> right? Like he continually doubts. At the end, he was obedient because God finally proved himself to you. And let me encourage you students, don't wait as long as Gideon. Do not wait as long as Gideon because you have a promise from God that nothing can separate you and God. If you come to him, nothing can separate you. We read this passage. Kinsley did a great job. She read it earlier. And I'm gonna read it again. Honestly, I think all of you in this room have heard me read this passage because it is so, it just speaks to me in a very different way. It is so comforting to me. It's important for me to know. I want you to know it talks about God's love and how we can't separate from it. And I need some of you to know if you don't have God's love, this is your opportunity to connect to God's love, to come into relationship with him. I want to read it. It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. And here's the deal. We have this promise. I want you to read it with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God's willing to give up his own son, how will he not give us all things, right? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Don't miss this part. This is some weird language, but it's so cool. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Y'all understand that if you have a relationship with Jesus, don't miss this because this is so personal. If you have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father talking to God about you. He is interceding for you. Wow, that's intense. That realization is crazy. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So listen, he says, what? He goes, what should separate us? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? In verse 37, he says, no. He says, no, none of those things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, it is not because of you and how great you are. It's not because of how ordinary, how extraordinary you think you are. It says it right there in verse 37. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's where we have to start. And I think sometimes we just want to be, God, just use me. God, use me. God, use me. You have got to get your steps in the right order. You've got to be in union with the Lord. He has got to be with you. 
right? Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the beauty of it, guys. When you finally come into union with God, there is nothing in this world that can separate it from you. That's huge.